Hello everyone and welcome to HY Dyslexia, all things dyslexia. Today's podcast is a little bit different. It's something that's really close to my heart. It's about reading. Now, I love reading and I always, one of my dreams is to keep reading books. But um, my bookshelf is full of books that I probably just read the first chapter or just read the back of it and left it there. Um, And I think today having our amazing guest, Sakina Khan, who's based in Canada, who's going to tell us, or maybe I might learn something from this, why I start a book and never finish it, for example. And what's the best and confident way for a dyslexic to read? My name's Elizabeth Tetchy, I'm the founder and CEO of HY Dyslexia. So I'll introduce myself first and bring on our amazing guest, Sakina Khan. Sakina runs an organization based in Canada um, and she helps dyslexics to be confident readers. Sakina, welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. How are you feeling? I am good and I love doing what I'm doing, so I'm feeling very happy. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, uh, for, you know, obviously coming to our, on our podcast and sharing your knowledge and many years of experience supporting dyslexics. Of course, you live in Canada and you also support dyslexics globally, places like Pakistan and the USA. Now, tell me how your journey started. What made you want to do this particular job? So my journey started good 25 years ago. I was trained as a Montessori teacher. I had my own Montessori school, which is very multi-sensory and very structured, but still we could see that so many kids, even with those instructions, could not read. And we would feel like there is something else. What is it? When I researched and I went out of my comfort zone, I found out that that's a different type of instruction. That's a different type of brain. Then I got training in Orton Gillingham, and that was the first training I got as a dyslexia teacher. And now I have structured word inquiry and many other trainings. But once we started applying those trainings or those techniques on the kids who had difficulty, things became easy for them. The ones who were running away from language or even math sometimes, which are sometimes you have word problems and stuff which are related to language, they were all comfortable with it. That was such a win-win situation. It was just about the difference of understanding what they want rather than doing what we always do. So you support dyslexic, autistic people and ADHD and ASD. You, you kind of support people across the board, don't you? Yes. So I, my main thing is dyslexic readers or writers or spellers or anybody who has a learning difference. But many a times they come with autism or aspraxia or different situations, but that's okay. We type, we kind of work around them. Fantastic. 20 years or over 20 years you've been doing this. That's so amazing. I mean, do you have a personal story with anyone who's got dyslexia or was it just a passion? It was mostly a passion. Amazing. That's really Now now the ones I work with are kind of family. (laughs) So we have a big dyslexic family now. Wonderful. Now I'm just going to read a little bit about your background so that our um, listeners can get um, an overview of who you are and what you do. So you're based in Canada and you've got over 20 something years experience in teaching and providing therapeutic uh, tutoring to dyslexic students in Canada, Pakistan, and USA. You're also a director and structure reading specialist at Reading Resolved, which is the title 
of our podcast today, where you deliver structured, effective and result-driven literacy tutoring that addresses all foundational elements critical for reading, writing and comprehension. Now, I've got a severe problem with reading and comprehension and absorbing and actually taking the information on to actually remember what I've read. I read a book and if someone says, what was that about? I just cannot remember. I just can't break it all down. I know I've read it, but I can't remember what I've read. Do you come across a lot of dyslexics that are like that? Most of them. Why is reading so difficult for dyslexic people? Why? You know, this is my favorite question, and it's such a great question that why is reading so difficult for some people with dyslexia? So for this, I would want you to understand first how our brains read, and then we will figure out why is it difficult for the ones who have dyslexia. Many of us take the reading task for granted without realizing how complex this reading process is. Our brains were not designed to read. It is an acquired skill. As simple as we think reading is, we have to rewire our brain to read. Our brains that were built on the mechanism of understanding sound structure is now responsible for reading as well. So now our language center has to do a task that it was not designed for. Our eyes have to look at the letters, convert them into sounds, connect those sounds back into making a word, assign a meaning to it, and then comprehend a word. Oh, that's a long and complex process. So now we want to figure out why is this complex process even more complex for the ones with dyslexia? So just like any other brain, a dyslexic brain has two sides, is divided into two parts, the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. The left hemisphere, which is generally in charge of our cognitive functions like speech and language, whereas the right side of the brain is generally more responsible for creativity and spatial activities. The functional MRI for people with dyslexia has shown that the dyslexics rely more on the right side of the brain instead of the left one. Now, whatever we are reading takes a longer trip through our brain to get to the left side of the language center. Due to this neurobiological glitch, reading is more difficult and sometimes labored or slow. This is one of the main reasons that people with dyslexia find it hard. The bright side is that we can actually improve this neural connectivity for reading by getting structured interventions that are necessary for different brains like the dyslexic one. These structural breakdowns of language not only help in the neural connections, but also aid in the phonological deficit found in most people with dyslexia. And gradually and correct in, in the right manner, they become proficient readers. And it's really amazing because I've met so many dyslexics that have gone, I'm a typical example where I've got no um, GCSE in English. I don't have any, but as I've grown up and, and obviously as an adult, I went to university. I was a confident reader at the time and I can absorb what's been read to me or what I have to read. And I managed to do my degree. I managed to do my PGCE, my postgraduate in teaching. I'm actually hoping to go and do my master's. And um, I was supposed to be last year, but because of COVID, everything's been, been put on hold. And I've had a lot of people ask me, but you know, you're, you're, you're not able to read that letter in front of you. How have you managed to go through education and finished with reading? And I know a lot of dyslexics who, are, who have got PhDs and you're like, how did they do that? Is that exactly what you've just explained? As we keep reading, it kind of just, you know, becomes part of us, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes words become pictures and then every new word, which is not a picture for you is hard. 
Absolutely, absolutely. That's really amazing. And that's why maybe some of us, some dyslexic people love reading. You know, they've got loads and loads of books on their bookshelf and they just love reading. You think, and then people will ask you a, a very simple question like, you're, you're struggling to read that small piece of paper in front of you, but your bookshelf is full of all this academic book. Sometimes people say dyslexia can be very confusing. It's not very understood very well because we do one thing extremely, really well. And then the, the simplest of tasks is a challenge, isn't it, for us? Where did you work prior to supporting uh, dyslexic people? So I started my teaching career as an economics O-levels teacher. Then I went into Montessori training. I started with teaching Montessori students. Then I had established my own school and I was running my own school for good six years. Then I, while I was doing work at my school, I did this training. Wow. That's really, really awesome. You must love your job. You, you, I, do, I do. I think the most beautiful thing is maybe someone who's actually really struggling to read and for them to be confident readers. You, you must really put your, you know, give yourself a pat on the back and say, look, that's really job satisfaction there. You know, Elizabeth, sometimes there are funny moments which make your day. One time I receive a text from a parent and she says, I hate you. And there's a heart in front. I'm like, like hmm, what was that? And she said, my son has started reading my text messages. <laughs> the child could not read before, right? And she was like, wow. uh, extremely happy. Yeah. So it is achievable. We can do it with the right support. Sure. Yeah. Right support is really important. Most of the adult students I work with, that's the main problem they have gone through, that they did not know what's the right way. They yeah. have gone through so many, and with due respect to all tutoring centers, it's just that this is different. <laughs> it's not yeah. about who's right and wrong. It's about different. Absolutely. Well, I don't call anything a good or bad memory. I call it an untrained and trained memory. So he <laughs> has to be trained. But when we give structure and all these techniques that we use come under structured literacy, when we give structure to a mind that is not extremely organized, then things become easy. If I put all your papers in files and tell you, okay, the red files are this and the blue files are this, it will be easy for you to retrieve information, right? So it's as simple as that. Excellent. I like that. I like. I really like that example. It's all about the support um, that one would get. And I think especially for me as a dyslexic, one-on-one works so much better than group. You know, if there's groups of us, my concentration is somewhere else. I'm just not fo- focusing on it. And um, I'm speaking for me as a dyslexic. I don't know if other dyslexics go through the same thing. One-on-one is always better because everybody has their unique needs and unique learning styles. So I truly believe that people who have dyslexia should have one-on-one exactly so do you teach both adults and children or was it just children yeah what's the age group of your oldest client for example (laughs) my oldest client is 50 years old 50 yeah oh that's not old is it (laughs) no it's just that when I was doing 50 for the first time I was a little skeptical but I enjoy with them the most because they're so mature and you don't have to you know tell them oh let's sit down let's do this let's do that they are passionate about what they want to do because they can realize what they're missing out on wow I actually as I said 50 is not old I realized then they hadn't been able to read until they were 50 is that right so they, so they read just the way like they don't know how to spell properly they have taken aids like speech to text and all these aids some one of my students who is 48 has um, done two masters with computers and other aids 
And when I was asking him that, you know, why do you still want to do it? He said, because my inner self tells me that these are crutches. This is not me. Mm, mm, absolutely. absolutely. You're doing such amazing work, Sakina. Really amazing. Now, I've just got another question here. and It's a burning question I have to ask. What are some of the techniques can build up reading confidence? What sort, sort of techniques should we be using as dyslexics? Confidence is confidence, whether it's reading confidence or any other confidence, right? Confidence means that you're feeling sure about yourself and your abilities in the realistic way. I truly believe in this term realistic way because it's about your inner knowledge about your capability. It is the inner belief that, yes, I can do this well. In short, we are confident about things we feel and believe we are good at. Many a times I see parents or teachers saying, wow, that's superb reading, when it's not. The sad part is that the student knows he or she is not doing well. So rather than saying you're reading well, you can always speak the truth and say, you're really working hard and your efforts are showing. So confidence has to be built in the right and the honest way. So it's a great idea to appreciate their sweat and tears. When people, especially children with dyslexia or adults with dyslexia read, it's mentally and physically exhausting for them. Giving them the feeling that their efforts are acknowledged makes them feel better and want to do more and eventually get better at reading. Simply praise the fact that they have come a long way. Let them know that struggling is normal. It's fine to tell your kid that you struggle at things too. When I say to my students that I struggle at baking or cooking in some areas, their eyes actually light up. They start sharing things they struggle at, and which generally includes reading. From there, we have such an honest open window to build up their confidence. Another thing is let them be the decision makers of what they want to learn about. This is so important. When you take them to the library or a bookstore or let them choose a reading passage, let them choose what they're interested in. Picking up books according to their interest or comfort level makes them feel at ease make them feel good, makes them feel empowered, and gradually they feel more confident about it. The feeling of ease and confidence will help them go from simple to complex reading with self-developed confidence. Another element is give them privacy. This is such an important one, and I would rather say it's a vital one. It's simply criminal to make kids who struggle at reading read out loud. They feel judged and nervous. Even if they don't say so, it's a very negative experience for them. Imagine if you're not good at something and you're supposed to do it in front of 20 people. It's, and it's okay to tell them to read silently. There's so many strategies you can help them improve their accuracy. Sometimes reading to a pet, a younger sibling, or toy can make that judgment go away. This way they can get a chance to exercise the skill without the stress of being judged and eventually feel confident. Help them confront their fears. Facing the fear is the only way to get over your fear and get confident. But it is very hard because it's not fun to face your fear. As fears keep you safe, they keep you away from your not comfort zone. So tell them it's okay if you're not perfect. Take that emotional burden away from them. Once they're ready to read in a safe environment, a non-judgment environment, they will start feeling okay about it. I tell my kids, I tell my students, like, we do so many things that are far more fearful. For example, crossing a road, riding a bike, playing soccer. All these things can cause so much more harm to us. But we keep doing it with ease because we 
just do it and we've been doing it such a long time but it's not that the first day we rode a bike we did not fall or stumble so we have to tell them it's okay to fall it's okay to be wrong i have used most of these strategies to develop confident readers and i cannot name one who does not read confidently this is amazing honestly we really need you we need you in the uk <laughs> It's so amazing. It's just like I'm sitting I'm just listening to what you're saying and every word of it because even as big as I am now grown woman I'm still struggling to read. You know, I'm really still struggling to read and um when I see text on paper or in a book and there's so many of it I just shut the book again. And I know you and I know that knowledge is power. So if I'm not reading to understand things things like when you um take out a car insurance or when you're buying a house and all these papers that you have to read and you know these things can take me forever and you know there are times when i just give up on it and i can't keep giving up because i need to understand you know that reading is important would you agree with that and have you met people that feel that way but that's what i tell people and that's what i tell myself treat yourself like your favorite child so if you're feeling overwhelmed tell elizabeth it's okay You can do it. It's fine. Sometimes when we see our kids they're upset, when we feel they're emotionally burdened, we sit there for an hour to make them feel better. But why don't we do this for ourselves? Why can't we say hi Elizabeth, how are you to ourselves? Why can't we say hi Sakina, I know you're nervous, it's okay. It's okay to be nervous. And yeah. you'll get there. And then of course get the right help. Like I I'm working with people in America here and there and they're all doing virtually. It's of course it's not easy for them to sit in front of the camera but they do it and they're doing fantastically well awesome that's really really great now is there a particular book you could recommend a couple of books that you think that is really reader friendly that somebody could for example myself i could purchase or or anything like that i mean i do a lot of audio read audible books because it's reading to me but that's really it's still not reading is it it's better to kind of see the words and follow them so i can recognize what the words are So what is reading for you? Oh, it's um <laughs> I just want to keep reading to kind of get knowledge of things that are very important. So I'm interested in a lot of dyslexic books by the way and I've just purchased one recently. Well, is there a, a, some sort of really good books that adults someone who's an adult could purchase? Yeah, so there are two kinds of reading books. Like when we do initially which might not be the best for you but younger kids who are doing CVC or you know decodable text there's high noon in this spire and i can send you a list of those sure. uh, flyleaf and you know other phonics readers but they're kind of a little boring for kids because you know if i say sam had a bat and the bat was red and blah 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 and kids kind of get bored but then there are interesting stuff like um sound out chapter books and sometimes they are i'll read you read to me series which are like simple fables so it's it's really important and sometimes we talk about that that it's really important to see what is interesting for the child something interesting for you might not be interesting for me then why would you want to read it i like self development non fiction stories or yeah. readers i don't like twilight and stuff and people mm-hmm. go crazy at twilight right it's <laughs> <laughs> not your interest whatever you will be interested in is what you would want to read Absolutely. but yes um it depends on the difficulty of the student if they need this decodable books then we give them decodable books which would be again spire high noon uh, bob books here in canada i'm i'm sure we have some in london too and if we have general books then we start 
I generally like to give them one step lower than their reading level. I don't want to start them at their reading level because that gives them a feeling of threat. Oh, what if I stumble? Something which is lower than their reading level will not give them that threat. And then they will come to their reading level and they'll surpass it too. Of course. And that's really awesome. Thank you so much. Just before we round up, do you have any tips for anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, whether it's a parent, whether it's an adult, or whether a parent would give it to a child to listen to, any tips to unlock the love of reading? Yes. I personally believe that the love of learning just for the sake of learning is the most important. And to be honest, you don't have to build the love of learning. You simply have to nurture it. It's innate in us. We have the love of learning. The only thing is we have to make sure that we are observant enough as a parent, as a teacher, as an adult, that, okay, what is Elizabeth's interest area? What is Sakina's interest area? So it's important to identify the, what you call it, interest inventory. So once you know the interest inventory, and again, the learning style, it's easy. Like some of my students like to read about animals. And when we read, we read passages which are connected to animals. And one of my students likes life on Mars and black holes. So if I swap their passages, nobody would be interested. So it is vital to understand their interest inventory, their learning style, along with getting that. So one of my students, she's a cat lover, but does not like reading books. I actually open YouTube videos, which have text under it, like subtitles, and she reads and reads and reads. So it's fine if there's a video there. And now she is so confident that she can pick up and read anything. So having a continued interest in your child's or student's activities and interests is the best motivator you can give for developing um, the love of reading. And I think another thing what we all do, and I have been guilty of doing that, is to reward activities. I think to instill the love of learning, we don't need to reward them. When we give candy and stars and stickers, the pleasure of the activity goes away. It's all about the reward then. So without stars or candy, they don't want to do anything. So just let the children feed on their love of learning and getting better at it. And one more thing I would say is that learning requires a safe environment. So kids or students or adults, they feel very disappointed when they feel that they have disappointed somebody else. They feel that their self-esteem has been attacked. They feel unsafe. This can occur with the slightest shift in the expression of the person teaching them, even if the adult does not say anything. So often will children keep away from anything that resembles an unsafe environment. So when you feel that you need to fight to be liked and not do what you have to do, they don't want to read. So providing an environment that is safe, non-judgmental, self-directed, instills a lifelong love of learning. You can try it. Oh, fantastic. Sakina, thank you so much for coming on A2I Dyslexia podcast, All Things Dyslexia. We are just so grateful to have this information, which we're going to share on all our social media platform. And of course, we will put all your Twitter handles and social media handles um, at the end of the podcast as well, so people can tap into your services. Um, Now that we're all sort of locked down and pandemic, I'm sure people can contact you no matter where they are or no matter where they live in the world to be able to, to tap into your services. 
Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity and giving me the time. It was actually amazing to speak to you. Thank you, Sakina. I'd like to also say thank you to our listeners. Thank you to um, Salt and Pepper Production for the amazing podcast they do, Yola and her team. Um, It's amazing. And it's just so fantastic that we're able to do this. And we're being funded by the Educational Skills Funding Agency, Equip, as well as Education um, uh, uh, sorry, European Social Fund is what they're called. But I just want to also say thank you to our listeners. Keep listening to us. Keep leaving us reviews on all the podcasts. We see you next week, same time, same place. Bye bye. The Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia Podcast, All Things Dyslexia, is funded by Equip, the Education Skills Funding Agency, and the European Social Fund. It's presented by Elizabeth Tashi. Produced and distributed by Salt and Pepper Productions.